Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Hello, and welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity. I'm Shelley Pash. Today, we're going to be speaking on megatrends influencing the future of America's rural communities. I am the manager for rural entrepreneurship for Network Kansas. I work alongside 18 entrepreneurship or e-communities in the eastern region of Kansas. And I've been in this field for about 14 years of ecosystem building, entrepreneurship, community development. And I am privileged and honored to introduce Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, hosted by Network Kansas. Don has worked in the field of community economic development throughout North America for over 40 years with a deepening focus on entrepreneurship-led economic development. And here is Mr. Don Mackey. Well, hi, Shelley. Great to be with you again today. And thanks for this opportunity to talk about some of the things that rural communities could think about to build a brighter future. Absolutely. So I read a couple of the things that you have. I try to keep up and sort of sound smart the best I can. So I have a two-part question. So we talk about megatrends influencing the future of America's rural communities. So what do you mean by megatrends? And it's a two-part question. Second, why are these megatrends so important to rural community and prosperity? Oh, great question, Shelley. And really the answer is one and the same. One way to think about megatrends are these are big national or international trends that are at work in the broader environment. And when rural communities can tap into them in a smart way, they can create development opportunities that can strengthen the prosperity of rural communities. So these are the big things that are happening that go way beyond our community and are shaping the future. So if you think about our transition from a hunter-gatherer to an industrial society to a knowledge economy, those were all megatrends. And these are kind of the underlying drivers in the next generation of the transformation of our society and economy. Nice. So... Share with us some of E2's top megatrends. And I'm going to actually give you this part of it that I did read and saw that when you're talking about globalization and outsourcing, kind of moving to full-time and benefits to a contracted or a gig worker, share with us some of E2's top megatrends. Well, obviously, globalization is here. Now there's the counter trend of nationalism that's kind of pushing back against globalization and open borders and free trade among countries. But nevertheless, we're probably more interconnected as a world economically and socially than we've ever been before. And that's likely to continue as we tap into the resources and talents of different countries, different peoples to really not only support our development in the United States, but throughout the world. And for rural America, that means that's kind of the big picture that we've got to pay attention to. And of course, in our part of the country, Kansas and Nebraska, 
farmers are well aware of what it means by globalization, where so much of our commodity agriculture is exported every year across the globe. So that's a huge one. Information technology is clearly a deal changer. And who would have guessed how important it has become in the way we work and play, stay in communication with each other, what it's meant during the pandemic recession. That, of course, is a two-way street. It can be a threat to rural communities, but it can also open up doors as we think about our ability to engage in e-commerce, to live in one place and work in another place. I think some that maybe haven't come up before in our conversations, economic concentration. We're at an interesting point, at least in U.S. history, where our economy is once again concentrating at one end. We're getting bigger and bigger multinational corporations. At the other end, we're seeing all of these niche enterprises that are backfilling around these larger corporations. And that's true in almost every economic sector. So at the one hand, we've got concentration occurring, but at the other end, we've got this dynamic entrepreneurial activity that's saying, okay, Microsoft doesn't do this. We can do that. And in many cases, these trends are more complicated. They're not just one way in terms of their impact. And another one that we've probably not talked about is the intergenerational transfer of wealth trend, where right now, baby boomers are retiring at the rate of 10,000 a day. That'll continue for three generations. I'm one of those. I now realize I'm in the middle cohort of baby boomers. My brothers and sisters are in the older cohort. And boomers control, depending on the math, upwards to 60% of American wealth. And for community philanthropy, just thinking about the recent Kansas Conference of Community Foundations that they host for the country, a lot of talk about transfer of wealth and what this means for community philanthropy. So those are a few that I think are particularly just salient. A few. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's nothing to bypass by any means because it's certainly... They are, like you said, it's funny because when you started saying they're pretty big and I'm like, you might want to say even mega, (laughs) it's a mega trend. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) These are the big things that think of them as the current that you can run with or the backwind that can help move you along. These are the things that if you can get in sync with them, take advantage of them, they have a lot of power to move your community in a positive direction. Or if you don't deal with them. It can be the inverse in terms of creating crisis or challenge. And it is nice to hear these things. Well, there's a platform, there's a base for that. So you can actually work off of these. And it's not just people kind of running around flailing and kind of figuring out what to do. And these aren't things that you can fix overnight by any means. It's an ongoing for sure. So I know in some of our previous podcasts, we talked about outsourcing and other trends associated with the pandemic recession. I'm particularly interested in two related megatrends of urban Americas filling up, resulting in high costs of living and doing business, and rural migration trends. Predominantly, the trend that was from rural to urban America. Can you expand on that? It's an interesting concept. So as we've worked regionally in different parts of the country, I just got in the habit of going to the local real estate business and checking housing prices. And it just became a habit of mine. And then as we began to think about it, realized that this was a huge driver behind people moving back to rural America. So let me just illustrate that. 
We've done work in Klamath Falls, Oregon, which is very beautiful in South Central Oregon. It's close to Crater Lake National Park. If you've not been there, it's one to put on your bucket list. But for some time now, people have been moving out of Portland and Seattle and Northern California. Think about the Bay Area, San Francisco. Woohoo! Yeah, you've got some <laughs> connections there. Where the cost of living and congestion has become a real issue. And folks began to move into places like Medford and Bend. And they've now begun to fill up and become more expensive with greater congestion. And oftentimes the third wheel that is part of that is perceptions about crime. Although in reality, crime really isn't that big of issue for most people, whether they live in Portland, Medford, or Klamath Falls. But just to give you an idea, looking at the median house price, most recently, we just pulled this research. And of course, the median is the midpoint. Half of the houses in the community would have a price less than this. Half would have a price more than this. So if we start with Portland, the biggest metro in this region, it's about $500,000. San Francisco, 1.4 million is the median. If we look at Bend, Oregon now, the price has shot up to 529, 529,000. 20 years ago, it would have been much, much lower than that. Medford's now climbing, 335,000. But if we look at Klamath Falls, it's 186,000 is the median price. And so as we worked with Klamath Falls, we said, you are the next best community. So that as people are looking to sell their real estate in higher cost urban areas and translate that to buying a great property in a more rural area and then using that difference, say, in retirement or to start a business, those differentials become huge and are a driving force in terms of this idea that certain parts of America are filling up, becoming more expensive, and that's creating opportunities for other places that have the right stuff to become home for businesses, individuals, retirees, and rural communities really ought to be thinking about their opportunities within this context. That's very cool. I got to tell you, I'm below every one of those median household incomes wherever I've lived, <laughs> whether I've lived in California and up and down the coast. But yeah, I mean, that's where it gets to that point of, man, can I afford this anymore? And But being able to do that and move those people in and in those little sleeper communities, but then they start booming up and it's a fantastic trend. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. Actually, when you were talking, I'm like, oh, I need to go on to that livability.com and see if Klamath Falls pulls up on there. It's, I love having that. It's really cool to actually see. That is fascinating. In just the four years that we've worked with Klamath Falls, you could begin to see the transformation as new people are coming in. There's now interesting coffee shops, other kinds of amenity businesses. There's a lot more information technology businesses that you just are invisible but are at work because people said, I can live here. I can afford a building. I can buy a house. The quality of life is pretty good with schools and parks. And even my own niece and her husband, he was an inventor in the healthcare field. They recently sold all of their real estate in the Bay Area and moved up to Bend Wow! to make that transformation, to recapitalize his business, buy a nicer house, and still put some money in the bank. 
Location, location, location. Absolutely. (laughs) That's certainly how it does too. So you were mentioning coffee shops and e-commerce is clearly, clearly, I mean, and it's funny because it's not that we're in the thick of it. It's been trending along for so long, but we are definitely smack in the middle of it and the middle, wherever that happens to be lives and work. And we see it across Kansas and communities with my colleagues and I, that we work with the communities, but they're working with those businesses that are pivoting to online or noon live feeds or Facebook live, something like that. And of course we read the captivating ongoing narrative that you share with us on Ord, Nebraska. So share more on what this means for rural entrepreneurs and their communities with e-commerce. Well, we think it's particularly important in the field that you spend every day working, and that is in entrepreneurship. And it really speaks, Shelley, to this kind of hybrid business that's emerging. And that's so, so important where there may be a retail business that has been around for a long time. And using the Ord example, we talk about the saddle shop that was founded on in the 1880s, Misco's on ah, the yes. town square around the courthouse, grew into a sporting goods store. And in a community of 2000, having a full line sporting goods store is really a stretch. But Misco's went into e-commerce where they're now supplying sports uniforms, gloves, bats, all of the stuff to high school teams, to club teams. Now in a multi-county, multi-state region, 80% of their business is e-commerce. But in doing so, that means that there's still those two, three-story buildings on Main Street that are in a retail space and available for the community. We think this is really important, but it's also competition. As we talked about with the earlier megatrend discussion, this can cut both ways. It also means that other folks in other communities, other parts of the country can use e-commerce to come in and take your market. But we just think it's an essential component today to building a more vibrant venture community in our rural communities is to think about social media marketing, the use of e-commerce, all of these emerging technologies that allow you to connect with customers that otherwise you would never have an opportunity to bring into your profit column. Absolutely. I like the competition is okay. And I just always think, and I try to share just what I've heard passed from business owners to be able to say, hey, you know what? I want the competition because if you don't want it, (laughs) you need to ramp up your game somewhere. So, and through all of this pandemic and the CARES Act funding that's been coming down, it's been just fascinating seeing what people are doing to move their business forward to see what they can do that they're like, well, I've got to completely diversify everything that I'm doing. And I'm like, that's fantastic. It stinks that we have to do that now, but you can't just roll up and go away. Yeah. And I think the pandemic has really driven people to think about this because of the shutdowns and the inability to do business as usual. Some have not been able to pivot. Others have really shifted. One of my favorite is here in my current hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska, the mill is locally owned uh, coffee business. They have multiple shops around town and they began to do by Zoom wine tastings where they actually brought in the vineyard folks from different parts of the world and the country to be on that. They would deliver the 
wine tasting and little pouches with food that had been <laughs> paired with it from their chef. And when we were really locked down, my wife and I were doing these almost every weekend with- well, At least you didn't say every night. <laughs> no, not every night. That'd be a little much, but- yeah. <laughs> Every weekend with about 25 to 30 people. And oh, that's awesome. I'm sure it didn't take and offset the loss in street business that they had, but it kept their name out there. It what a customer business. experience. Yeah. And then we would go, and if we liked a particular wine, we would buy some wine from them, creating further business for them. So it has forced our entrepreneurs to really think about how to do business differently. And hopefully that'll kind of plant the seeds for a generation of entrepreneurs who are much more creative, much more innovative and in saying, I can develop additional markets than just hoping somebody comes through my front door. I love it. Yes, we got to think outside the box and on the other side of the box, everything. So always, always a pleasure to have you on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Don, share with us where our listeners can learn more about E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. Well, the best place to start, Shelly, is with our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There you can access our free monthly newsletter and a lot of I resources on our website. <laughs> yeah. And we use that newsletter to really let you know that when new papers like this one about urban America is filling up and what that means for rural communities. That's where you're going to first find out about it. We also are encouraging folks who are practitioners in entrepreneurship to join our E2 National Practitioners Network. This is a partnership with Network Kansas. And through there, they can access all of our E2 resources. And of course, you can sign up for our Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And then we've got <laughs> the two papers. Yes. The Mega Trends paper will be available and will soon be releasing Urban American is filling up. But also, you mentioned it, the post-pandemic or planning for a post-pandemic world. Some of those silver linings, and I know that's hard to use when the tragedy is so great right now. But nevertheless, communities have to think about What's the world going to look like as we come out of this? And how can we rebuild our economies and our communities through some of these trends like remote work? It's certainly an uncertain time for sure, but absolutely. It is tough to say the silver lining side, but we have to look at something. So, so appreciative of your mind, your research, and everything that goes along with it. I appreciate you so much. Well, it's mutual, Shelley. You do fantastic work, and this is fun. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm-hmm.